All right, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? I know, thanks, students. Hey, uh, just in case uh, you missed it in the beginning, there are a lot of chairs out, and it's an awkward setup in the room. But just to tell you why it's set up like that, uh, tonight the kids' ministry is hosting an event for for moms and and young daughters. And last I heard, uh, 905 tickets have been sold. Uh, It's going to be packed in this place. So uh, that's why it's set up like that. They didn't put extra chairs out for me, I promise. That's not why. So uh, I I really am excited to be here this morning. I'm going to wrap up the series that we've been in uh, called Better. And we've been studying the book of of Hebrews. And the, the author of Hebrews was telling his original audience that what Jesus offers is so much better than anything they could possibly imagine. They, they were Jewish Christians who were struggling with this idea that maybe they should go back to the way things were. And the author of Hebrews is saying over and over again, I promise you Jesus is better. To, to kind of have fun with that idea, at the very, very beginning of the series, we uh, challenged one of our staff members, his name's Derek Milner, uh, he works in student ministry with me, to to take a, a small plastic pig that was in my office for a long, I don't even know where it came from. It was a pig and someone wrote bacon on it and a Sharpie. And it was in my office and we gave it to Derek and we said, Derek, it's your job to trade this up for something new and something better. So he, he went from that, I think he got $5 for it. We got on to him because it's not trading, that's selling. So from that point on, he had to work like just with bartering. He had uh, one of those little kid power wheels at one point, uh, a Microsoft Surface laptop uh, tablet. And in the end, he ended with, I think it's a 1997 Yamaha jet ski. <laughs> so that's what, uh, that's what Derek ended with, just so y'all know. Uh, so this morning, I, I want to wrap us up by focusing on, on Hebrews chapter 12, specifically uh, the, b- the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll jump into the scripture together. Y'all, y'all pray with me. And God, I pray this morning as we study the scripture and we look at your words that, Father, today you would have a conversation with every single one of us. As we, we look through this passage of scripture, you would speak to us individually, and we would walk away a little different because we understood something new about you and your character or your word. And God, you would be the focus, the thing we remember when we leave this place. Father, we know that in the end, all the things that we're going to talk about this morning are only possible because of Jesus. So it's in his name and his power that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 starts like this. Therefore, and Alan has been saying this all series, whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible, you should ask yourself, what is that therefore Therefore, so let me tell you, uh, that therefore what the author is saying is, in light of every single thing we've talked about to this point, he's been convincing the original readers that Jesus is better, and he's showed them that Jesus is better than the law, that Jesus is a better foundation that we get to build our life on. Jesus provides a better rest, a better hope, that Jesus is a better high priest and mediator for us. Last week, Alan Jackson talked about Hebrews 11 which some people call the hall of faith. It's just a list of names of people that God used to do incredible things. And what's, what's interesting about those people is all of them are real people, just like you and me. They had real failures and real successes. In fact, most of their most shameful moments are recorded in the scripture still. 
And he shows us that faith in Jesus is better than trying harder. Because even with our failures and even with our brokenness, as long as we put our trust in him, God can still use us to do incredible things. So the author's saying, therefore, in light of all of those things, let me sum up everything I've been trying to say. And he says this, since we have a, such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. The author of Hebrews introduces this metaphor. He starts talking about a race, probably a long distance race. And church, the first thing I want you to know is that you have a race to run. Every single person in this room, your relationship with the Father is your responsibility. You have to run it yourself. You pursue the Father and you run after him. And this idea of a race is kind of carried out through chapter 12. And if I want to be really honest with you, church, uh, long distance running is not something I understand, right? I think it's obvious I'm not a runner, right? I don't get it because for me, like every sport I played growing up, Running was the punishment for doing something bad. And some people just run for fun. So real quick, how many non-runners are there? How many non-runners? Okay. How many like runners are there in the room? All right. Yeah, you can see them. The people who run, they love it. They love to run. There's something about them that's like, I want to push myself till it hurts and keep going. People who run love running. Like I said, I don't, I don't totally understand that mindset. Uh, and I know a lot of our students are in cross country and they, they, they run all the time. Um, one of our students, her name is Abby Reams. Uh, I'm going to talk about her this morning because her dad brags about her all the time. He's so proud of you, Abby. Uh, but Abby is 10th grade student. She goes to Dominey High. She's crazy fast, y'all. I asked Jeff if he would send me some of her times. And so he sent me her, her PR, uh, her personal record for the 5K is 20 minutes, 41 seconds, point 66. That's crazy fast to me. Uh, 20 minutes. I live three miles from the church, and sometimes it takes me longer to drive that distance than it takes Abby to run it. I wasn't sure how fast that actually is, so I Googled it. And according to the marathonhandbook.com, I don't know if that's a reputable website or not, but it says... It says that Abby is an elite level runner for her age, 15 to 20 years old, elite level runner. And here's how it defines elite. It says she's faster than 95% of other runners who have had five years of running experience and have dedicated themselves to competing in the sport professionally. I don't understand that. That's, that's amazing. And here's my question for all you runners who raised your hands. Oh yeah, you guys can clap for Abby. That's cool. She deserves it. So here's my question for, for you runners. Here's what I, I don't understand. How do, you, like, how do you keep running when you want to give up? How do you keep running when that, that voice inside of you says, I can't do this anymore, and, and you want to give up? I also think if, if we're going to be honest, I bet a lot of us have had this experience where it's like the new year, and you're like, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to start jogging every morning. You wake up, you put like headphones in, you put a reflective vest on because I'm a dad now and I can't get run over. And you're like... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run. And you're, 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 you're like listening to the Rocky soundtrack. You're doing great. And then you hit that first hill and you get to the top and you're like, it's not worth it. That's fine. I give up. I feel that. That's, that's been my experience almost every time. But something about people who are committed to that long distance run, they, they keep going even when they want to give up. And, and in Hebrews chapter 12, the author introduces the idea of a, of a race. And then he tries to solve that question. How do we keep running 
when we want to give up. He sums up the whole idea of Hebrews trying to answer that question. In fact, the first solution that he gives us is, is right back to Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have this large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, we should lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares. Let us run the race with endurance that lies before us. The first thing he says, church, if you want to know how do you keep running when you want to give up, he says, remember that you don't run alone. Your race is your responsibility. I can't pray for you. I can't bring you to Jesus for you. It's in between you and the Father. But the truth is, church, we don't have to run alone. We need each other to support us as we are following God in this way. One of my best friends, his name was Flip Johnson. He used to preach on this this passage a bunch, and he used an illustration that I'm going to steal from him, uh, and he called it the spectator strategy. And here's what Flip said. For marathon runners, we need to be, for marathon runners, you need to be intentional about where they place their spectators along the race. Like you want your family and your friends at the starting line, that makes sense, and you want them at the finish line, that makes sense. Uh, but the truth is for marathon runners, at some point in that race, that little voice inside of their head that says, I can make it, I can make it, starts to grow quieter and quieter and quieter. Flip, Flip used to say it was between mile 16 and mile 19 for most people. And eventually that voice switches from I can make it to saying, I don't think I can do this anymore. And the spectator strategy for long distance runners is you find the mile marker where you hit the wall and you think you can't go any further. And that's where you put your spectators. Because at that point, and that voice inside of you was saying, I don't think I can make it. You need someone outside saying you can make it. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. This, this race that we are called to run, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be troubling. It'll feel unfair and overwhelming at times. In church, we need to be intentional about surrounding ourselves with people who will tell us that we can make it even when we want to give up. I've experienced this uh, in my own life in in a couple ways. In in church, I'm going to say thank you to y'all in a really big way. Uh, Also, in a moment, I'm going to show you a picture of the cutest baby of all time. I just want you to be prepared for that when it happens. Uh, but you know, it was, it was almost a year, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, that I stood on the same stage and I talked about adoption. And I told you how my family was called to adoption, how God adopts us into his family. And we said, adoption is sacred. Adoption is holy. It's, it's permanent. And I was so excited to share with y'all that we had matched uh, with a birth mom. How, how me and Sarah and the three boys have prayed every night for years and years and years that we would be matched with a family. Um, and the boys were so excited. We met with the birth mom on Zoom. She sent us, um, you know, pictures. And we, we were so excited for this moment. Um, and then she disappeared. We never heard from her. And uh, church, I wasn't prepared for how hard that was. I thought I understood what I was getting into, but I wasn't prepared for how hard it was to have my heart so set to love somebody who was then taken uh, away. The birth mom chose the parent. We haven't heard um, from her since. I wasn't prepared for how hard that was on me, and I wasn't prepared for how hard that was on my family. Um, we told the boys, and they wept. They wept. They cried. Wyatt, who was our, uh, our brashest child, <laughs> he was the one the other week uh, when we were doing the baby dedication that picked his brother up as we walked off the stage. That's Wyatt. I was praying with him, talking to him, and he was crying. And he said, why is God so mean? 
I was like, he's not mean, buddy, but he, this isn't the yes for us. And, and as the months went by and we hadn't matched and we hadn't seen profiles, I started to wonder, like as a dad, my job is to protect my kids' hearts. Is it worth it? Like, is it worth it to keep going through this process of adoption, seeing how hard my kids uh, were suffering, how hard their heart was broken? When, when we matched the first time, Sarah and I uh, built like a nursery, made a nursery in our house. Um, we painted it, we put stuff on the walls, put cribs together, it was all decorated, it was finished. We have a finished nursery. And for a year, I'd walk upstairs and I would see Sarah alone in an empty nursery, uh, just praying. And I would think in that moment, like, is this, is this worth it? Is this, this thing that God's called me to, is it, is it worth it? And I really felt like giving up a bunch. I was terrified that I was hurting the faith of my kids and I was hurting the heart of my wife. And I made this, you know, discussion in front of all of y'all and like, what happens if God doesn't come through? And maybe it's just easier to, to give up. And church, I cannot tell you how many people like surrounded me and my family and prayed with us. The, the prayer, I got so many prayer grams stacked up in my office because y'all were praying for us. And every time I saw one of those things, it was like a spectator saying, you can do it. Don't give up. People in the lobby would, would grab me and I heard so many stories of your family's adoptions and, and the, the process that y'all went through. And it was like someone saying, you don't have to give up. Church, I'll be honest with you. If it wasn't for y'all supporting me and my family, I probably would have given up. It was harder than I thought it was going to be. And I needed y'all. How, how do we keep running when we want to give up? We have to remember that you and I, we don't run alone. Whatever it is that you're going through, kind of like we talked about earlier, you don't have to go through it alone. There are people all around you who have experienced similar things, who have walked with God through that same season, and those people can lift you up. So many of us are running with weights that we weren't meant to carry alone. You don't have to run alone. And as a student pastor, let me just take a second and talk to the church as well. Um, parents, families, this year, since the beginning of the school year, I, I've sat across the table. Oh, thanks. Do I sound funny? Robert's like, you need water. Your mouth sounds dry. Um, this year, I have I've sat across the table from quite a few parents whose kids are going through real, real struggles, real depression, real anxiety, suicidal ideations, fear friends who have abandoned them, real, real struggles. And almost every conversation I have with one of those parents, I say at some point, hey, I want you to know you're not alone. You're not the only parent going through this. You're not the only family moving through this. Students, you're not the only students who are walking through what you are walking through. But so often I can never connect those people together because a lot of times we like to hide the struggle that we're in so people don't see what we're going through. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Church, we need each other so we don't grow weary and that we don't give up. How do we keep running when we want to give up? We remember that we don't run alone. All right, I know that was, that was heavy, so here's a picture of a cute baby to make up for all that. Here she is. Yeah, I told you. The cutest baby of all time. Uh, <laughs> So he keeps going. How do, we, how do we keep running when we want to give up? He says, remember that you don't run alone. And the second thing he says is you have to remember who you are running to. 
Hebrews 12, back to verse one and two, it says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us and keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and the perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, if you wanna keep running, when you wanna give up, you have to remember who you're running to. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. He's the author. He's the pioneer. He's the creator of this faith that's so much better. And if we take our eyes off of him, we will start to stumble. He is the goal that we are running to. We have to remember who we're running to. And then he says something in there that I think is so powerful. He says, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame of it. And here, here's my question, church. Like, what joy would make the cross worth it? Right? He sees the cross is ahead of him. And he says, for the joy that's on the other side of the cross, I will suffer the shame of the cross. What joy could be worth what happened on the cross? And I think the word shame is, is interesting because we know that the cross was pain, like physically painful, unbelievably painful unbearable. In fact, they created a word to describe how painful the cross was. It's the word excruciating. It means the pain that comes from the cross. But it wasn't just the physical pain that Jesus experienced. He endured the shame. And what is that shame that he endured so he could experience this joy? Here's the shame. On the cross, more than the physical pain, Jesus became the sin of those who would put their faith in him. The Bible says that God made him, his son, who knew no sin, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, become sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. That means when, when Jesus was on the cross, he was taking our sins, my sins, off of my shoulder and putting them on himself. Jesus would never experience shame or guilt or the pressures of sin that we all walk in. In that moment, he wore all of the sin on his shoulders. It's unbearable, unimaginable. And Jesus said it was worth it for the joy that was on the other side. And what was the joy? Y'all, the joy is what we've talked about already. So that lost sons and daughters could come back home. The, the God that we are running to is a God who is willing to suffer and endure the shame of the cross so you and I could be set free and come back home. To not be fatherless, but to be part of God's family. That's the God that we are running to. And we have to remember his goodness and his kindness and his grace. Because like I said, this race that we are running, there are times when it feels overwhelming and it feels unfair. And we have to remember that God is a father, a good Father, the author of Hebrews uh, takes a moment to describe how sometimes in our life, the struggle that we feel, the pressures that we feel as we run this race is, is actually discipline that comes from our father, right? And he, he talks about in the beginning, throw off the sin that so easily ensnares, but sometimes we pick that sin back up and we try to run with that weight. And the father loves us so much that he has to intervene. And sometimes that looks like discipline. He says in verse seven, he says, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you with sons. For what son is there that the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He says, if God disciplines you when you choose to pick that sin up, it's not proof that he is angry at you or he doesn't love you. In fact, it's the complete opposite. 
that fathers who truly care about their children discipline them. And sometimes when God chooses to discipline us, it should remind us of who he truly is. He's the father who saves. He's the father who cares. He's the father who loves. He goes on to say in verse 9, um, furthermore, we had human fathers who disciplined us and we respect them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the fathers of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our own benefit so we can share in his holiness. He says, you got to remember when you're in those seasons of discipline that, that, that God is doing this because he truly cares about you. Just like your earthly dads did or tried to do your perfect heavenly father does the same so you can become more and more like him. And here's, here's a line that I think is so powerful. Verse 11 it says, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. He says, on this race that you're running, you're going to find times where it feels unbearable and it feels unfair and it feels like God is coming down on you and you're not sure what you're supposed to do and you want to give up. And you even ask in that moment, just like I did when we were waiting on Evie Ruth is, God, why are you doing this? Right? Why are you doing this? Why, why is my family going through this right now? Why are we suffering in this way? I don't understand what's happening. And God's promise is one day you'll look back and you'll see that it all made sense. Like you can trust him because he's a good father and you got to hold on to who he is so that when you run into those, those difficult paths, those struggle moments, you can remind yourself that one day I will look back and see, oh man, God was in charge the whole time. All those things that felt random and unfair all work together to produce something good in my family's life, in my life, in my faith. You have to trust that God is good in those seasons of struggle. Right? So how do we keep running when we want to give up? We remember that we don't run alone, that we need each other. And we have to remember who it is that we are running to. The final idea that the author gives us is this. How do you keep running when you want to give up? You have to remember why you run. You have to remember why you started this race in the first place. What was the goal? What was the finish line? And he's about to say that our finish line is so much better than the, the Israelites could have imagined at the time. He's saying, the readers, the original readers, you don't want to go back to the way it was because the new finish line that Jesus has for you is so much better. And he tells a story that uh, all the original readers would have understood and recognized. It, it kind of seems like it comes out of nowhere, but I want to read it to you. It's, it's Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. And, and here's what we read. He says, For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, to gloom, and to storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of the words. Those who heard it begged that not another word would be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded, that even if an animal touched the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So this is a moment you can read about in Exodus 18 through 22, I think that, that uh, the, the Israelites have been freed from Egypt. Moses is leading the people in the wilderness. And God says to Moses one day, in three days, I'm going to come. My presence is going to come and I'm going to fall upon this, this mountain. And nation of Israel, be prepared for three days. Consecrate yourself, consecrate this mountain. It's a serious deal. If any animal touches that mountain, you have to sacrifice it. Set it apart, set it aside for God. And he says, on that day, if you set yourself apart, I'll show up and you can be in my presence. 
Before there were priests and before there was a temple and a tabernacle, God invited all of his people into his presence. Three days goes by and then God shows up. And the way that he shows up is overwhelming. It's terrifying. You can, you can read about it, but the way it's described is uh, God falls on a mountain and the whole thing is on fire. Smoke and fire consuming a mountain. I don't know if you've ever seen a house on fire, but a single house on fire is a terrifying thing to see. I can't imagine what an entire mountain looks like. And not only fire and smoke on the mountain, there's lightning and there was thunder. There is the sound of a trumpet that gets louder and louder and louder. And the people hear the sounds and they see the fire and they see what's happening. The ground is shaking and they say to Moses, we don't want any of that. (laughs) Moses, you go talk to God for us and then you tell us what he says. And Moses told the people, don't, don't worry. God is doing this to, to make you fear and not sin so you can be in his presence. And the people say no. And Moses walks into the fire alone. The finish line for the Israelites was overwhelming and it was terrifying. So terrifying, even Moses trembled when he saw it. And the author of Hebrews is saying, we have something so much better. You don't need someone to stand in between you and the Father You don't need someone to go and talk to him and come back and tell you what he said. You have something so much better than this. And and church, you know, for us nowadays, what this looks like when we choose to let someone walk into God's presence for us instead of pursuing him on our own, what that looks like for us is is simple. Um, Church, if the only time you pray is when a person with a microphone tells you to bow your head and pray, you're letting someone else talk to God for you. Your race that you run, you don't have to run it alone, but you got to run it. That relationship is between you and God. You got to run. If the only time you worship is when we're standing up here with the whole band, I promise you, you you're missing out. You're letting someone else stand in between you and the Father, just like the Israelites did. You talk to God for me. I don't want to talk to him. If the only time you read scripture is when it's on a screen behind somebody with a plaid shirt on, (laughs) I promise you're missing out. God has something so, so much better in store for us. Jesus suffered the shame of the cross so that you and I could boldly approach the throne room of God, confident that he's our father who loves us. You don't need anyone standing in between you and the father. You can just run to him right now. He goes on, he he describes what this looks like in, in verse 22. He says, so you've come to Mount Zion. It's different than the mountain that was on fire. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He starts talking about the promise of eternity that we have in Christ. A day when there is no fear, there is no shame, there are no tears, there is no sin, there is no death. He starts speaking about that time. To admired of angels, a festive gathering to the assembly of the firstborns whose names have been written in heaven. He says, remember, you're surrounded by this great cloud of witness. As a follower of Jesus, you don't run this race alone. You have people all around you who can push you forward. He says, remember that great gathering of people to a judge who is God of all and to the spirits of the righteous people made perfect, to the Father who is in heaven. He's a judge of all and to Jesus who is the mediator of a brand new covenant. Church, what we are running to is so much better than anything that we are running from. The, the God that we are pursuing right now is calling all of us to run our race, to pursue him on our own, to seek after him. You don't need me to have you pray. You don't need me to show you scripture. You can do that on your own. 
And the more you run, the closer you get to the Father. And the closer you are to the Father, the more you experience him, his power, his presence in your life. Church, all of us were called to run this, this race. And there will be times when we feel like giving up. It feels overwhelming. It feels like we just can't make it. So what do we do? How do we keep running when we want to give up? We remember that we're not alone. That's why we're all here. But you got to be open and honest with people. You have to be strategic about letting people into your life, knowing your real struggles, so they can push you forward when you feel like giving up. You have to remember who you're running to. You have to actually understand and know the goodness of God. You have to understand the sacrifice that Jesus made. You have to accept that gift of salvation that he gives you so you can hold on to his character when you're in the struggle and you're in the difficulty and you're in the season that feels unfair. And then ultimately, you've got to remember why you run, what our finish line is. It's the home that Jesus promised. It's the home that we were all created for. It's being in the presence of God. That's only found in pursuing him. This morning, we're going to do a final moment. We're going to sing a final song. And during this moment, I want you to take a second and work through those three ideas. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been running alone. You've been struggling with a sin that seems like you can't shake it off. You've been carrying a weight that feels like it's unable to be carried. And maybe this morning is the morning you grab someone who's next to you and you say, hey, I got to tell you what's happening. If you're in a a small group or a Bible study, find your leaders and say, I need help. I need you to know what's going on in my life. I'll be up front. I know it's hard to get up front because the chairs are all crazy, but I'll be up here all morning. If you just want to talk and pray, let's talk and pray. You don't have to run alone. We need each other. Church, you have to remember who it is that you're running to. And specifically, if you're here this morning and you've never understood the exchange that Jesus makes possible on the cross, You never understood this idea that he would take our sin on himself and give us his righteousness. You never had a moment where you've surrendered that guilt, confessed that guilt, and asked for forgiveness. Maybe this morning, the first step that you can take on the race that you're running is to ask Jesus to set you free. And if you're here this morning and that's the step you need to take, take it. There there are ushers in green shirts and name tags in the lobby. There are pastors scattered around. Just grab a random stranger and say, I need to pray to receive Jesus. Don't miss out if that's what God is calling you to do. And then church, as we sing this song about surrendering everything that we have to the Father, remember why we run. Remember the sacrifice that he made for us and the promise that he has ahead of us. Remember the fact that we never are on our own because he is with us. Maybe this morning as we sing this song, you need to be reminded of why you run. But let's not hold back. You have a race to run. That's your race, but we can all run together towards the Father, pushing each other on, recognizing who he truly is, keeping our eyes on the promise that's ahead. Now pray with me. Father, we're so grateful for this moment in Scripture. We're so grateful for this, this, this passage of Hebrews that speaks about the real life struggles that all of us feel. God, all of us have had that moment in our faith where we feel overwhelmed and we feel like we can't make it and we just want to give up. And God, I know there's been many times in my life I have just said, I'm done. I give up on this. And Father, I think about what I would have missed out on had I given up on what you called us to do. Father, for the folks who are in the room this morning or watching online who feel like they want to give up, God, I pray in this moment you would remind them they're not alone. 
There's people on either side of them who will pray, who will surround, who will push them forward when they want to quit. God, remind us of your goodness. The reality of what you accomplished on the cross is bigger than our minds can comprehend, but in some way you exchanged my sin for your righteousness. You took it away from me and you put it on yourself and you said it was a joy. It was worth it so that sons and daughters could come home. God, if there's anyone here who's never experienced that kind of forgiveness, I pray this morning would be the morning you grab a hold of their hearts and they say yes to you. And God, as we all worship together, just remind us of why we do this. For goodness, your kindness, and your grace. God, we know that in the end, all the things we talk about, all the things we do, none of this is possible without Jesus. And so, Father, it's in his name, his power, that we all pray. Amen, amen.